Our children are dismissed to continue their time of worship. And we are so pleased this morning to have in the pulpit Reverend Matt Johnson. Matt is the pastor at our sister church, Ridgewood Baptist, and uh, he is coming to uh, proclaim the word this morning. Matt is married to the Reverend Claire Johnson, who couldn't be with us today because they have a sick child, but he has two beautiful children, although one is sick, and uh, we are thrilled, Matt, that you are coming and bringing us a good word today. Thank you, Nina. And thanks to you for uh, your hospitality and your uh, graciousness to have me here today. Uh, I feel a little bit like St. Paul when I say I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters at Ridgewood Baptist Church in Pleasure Ridge Park. Uh, If you can ever manage to pull yourself away from Highland one Sunday, we would love to have you come down Dixie Highway and see what God is doing at Ridgewood. Uh, Choir, thank you for that beautiful music and uh, such wonderful words this morning. Uh, As Nina said, my wife is at home with our sick daughter, but my son Mac is upstairs uh, enjoying your wonderful new children's facilities, and I'll be lucky if I can get him to go back to Ridgewood next week. Uh, It's always a little bit nerve-wracking when you preach to a, a, a congregation that is not your own. You don't know the folks as well, uh, but in my case, uh, I know somebody here, and that's making me a little more nervous. Uh, I found out that Dr. Frank Tupper joined uh, the church last Sunday. Who, Dr. Tupper was my theology professor at, at the Wake Forest. So, I, Dr. Tupper, I promise today we will be walking in at least the second naivete. Uh, and if you have as much grace uh, on my sermon this morning as you did on me when you gave me an A- in Christian philosophy, then I think we'll be all right. <laughs> Let's pray together. God, who is our death and is our life. God, who is our good shepherd that calls out of us the old things and calls into us the new things, the things that give life. Give us the faith and the courage today to follow you where you lead us. Give us the faith and the courage today to be your people. And now it's my prayer that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, Well, uh, since Claire is not here this morning, I thought I'd tell a story. Uh, a, a story about a time that I thought for sure she was going to divorce me. Uh, you see, we were living at the time in North Carolina in the, uh, the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. On Sunday evening, we decided to take a drive up to the Blue Ridge Parkway. And we stopped at one of those roadside parks that dot that scenic drive. And I noticed a, a walking trail that went into the woods, and I thought... I thought, I thought the sign at the head of the trail indicated that the path would take us in a big half circle and lead us back to the park. So I said, hey, let's, let's take a walk. So we began walking, and the trail led down, down, down. I could tell we were leading down to the bottom of something. 
And even though we couldn't see uh, because of all the trees around us, it was clear that we were still walking away from where we had come from. And after about 15 minutes of walking, uh, Claire said, are you sure this leads back out? It's getting dark. Sure it does, I said. So we kept walking down, down, down. And every five minutes or so, uh, Claire would ask if we shouldn't go back because it's going to be dark soon and this doesn't seem to be heading back in the direction that we'd come from. But I was leading this little expedition. And so I assured her that certainly the trail would turn and it would lead us back up the side of the hill soon. In fact, I said with great confidence, I bet it would be farther to turn around and go back that way than it would be to just keep going. So eventually we reached the bottom, and it was very pretty. A little stream cut through the woods, and the trail that we were on, the one that I was so sure was supposed to lead back where we'd come from, that trail crossed the stream, and it continued on in the wrong direction through the woods on the other side. Well, by then the sun had almost set, and too late I was ready finally to admit my mistake. We needed to turn around and go back. So as we headed back up the trail, much more slowly than we had come down, it wasn't long before it was totally dark, like middle of the woods at night dark, because it was the middle of the woods and it was night. (laughs) The trail was narrow and and the downward side was a steep drop-off. One false step could lead to a painful fall. Tree roots crisscrossed the path, threatening to trip us at every step. The only light that we had was from my cell phone, which, I I swear this is true, had one bar of battery left. And this was before cell phones had flashlights on them, so it was just the light of my cell phone screen with Claire holding on to the back of my shirt, totally blind, unable to see, as we're walking up the side of the mountain and Did I mention that she was wearing (laughs) flip-flops? So the whole way, I was saying, there's a a tree root here. Watch out for that. There are some steps here. Be careful there. And and eventually, we made it. uh, Before my battery died, we made it back to the car. I made a dumb decision. And we were lucky that neither one of us was, was hurt. I wanted to be a leader. But I had proven to be totally untrustworthy in that role. I should have listened to the sound wisdom of my my wife. I should have been a follower. But I didn't have the courage to do that. In the 10th chapter of John, we find Jesus in one of his many confrontations with the religious leaders of his day. And with his typical lack of tact when dealing with religious professionals that he thinks are exploiting and deceiving the people, Jesus tells them that they are no better than thieves and hired hands, eager to make a quick buck, but quick to run away when the going gets tough. By contrast, Jesus states that he is the good shepherd, the model shepherd who never leads his sheep astray, who protects His sheep, who lays down his life willingly for his sheep. Then he says something that really struck me this week. I have other sheep, he says, 
who are not of this fold, and I must bring them in. They will listen to my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. And I guess the reason that this passage stuck out to me this week is that I'm standing here in front of you today as the pastor of another flock. The flock of Ridgewood Baptist Church. A flock that is financially supported by your flock. And you might be wondering, why are we giving this other church our money? It's a fair question. Highland's partnership with Ridgewood has been going on, I think, for uh, right about seven years. It's taken on many forms. In the early days, many Highland members, many of you, spent time at Ridgewood working with and alongside our people, getting our ministry groups back in working order, cleaning and and painting and singing and playing. Joe and Nina were our pastors for two years. In the second phase of the partnership, Ridgewood had her own pastor, Reverend Stephen Schaefer, but Stephen was technically an employee of Highland during that time. And now that I've come as the pastor of Ridgewood, Highland continues to provide financial support. Joe and I continue to meet twice a month in a mentoring relationship. And the reason this partnership exists is because Ridgewood is striving to be a progressive Baptist voice. A thinking, feeling, healing outpost in an area of Louisville that is pretty different from the East End. Ridgewood is a fully welcoming congregation to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters in an area of town where the most conservative churches are the ones that are growing. We are an interracial congregation in an area of town where more than our fair share of houses and pickup trucks still fly Confederate flags. But the flags out in front of our church say God loves everybody. The message of God's inclusive love that we preach and practice isn't welcomed by everyone in PRP. But we believe that it is vitally needed and desperately being searched for by some of those people. So let me tell you, if I I might, about a few of the sheep who have found their way into Ridgewood's fold. One of our sheep is a man who had not set foot inside a church since he was probably 18 years old. By now he's middle-aged, he injured his back, he can't work, but he's been denied disability. He has trouble at home getting along with some of his family members. And his whole life is devoted to his beautiful, adopted, biracial daughter who who is on the autism spectrum. When he first came to Ridgewood, he sat in the back corner. For the first few weeks, he spent the entire service sitting with his eyes closed and his hands in prayer position. He was hurting. He was searching. But through conversations and relationships with the people of the congregation, through meaningful worship that didn't ask him to check his emotions or his brain at the door, he has found healing and a place to belong. A few months ago, I had the great privilege of baptizing him and his daughter. And his whole family was there to support him. And then a couple of months ago, I asked if he'd be interested in helping run our soundboard on Sunday morning, and a position that we had been struggling to fill. 
And he readily agreed, and he actually thanked me for asking. Tell you about another sheep. One who was so weighed down by the grief of her husband's death when she first came to Ridgewood that she rarely made it through a service without getting up and going to the restroom to cry. She was so weighed down by her depression that she couldn't work. She was worried that she was going to lose her home. But now through the careful love and attention of Ridgewood's people, especially the other widows of the congregation, she has managed to go out and to find herself a job. And every Sunday she greets me with a big hug and a warm smile. I could tell you about another sheep, a pastor who was so mistreated and abused by his former congregation that he wondered why he would ever want to work in a church again. But at Ridgewood, he has found the freedom to speak his mind from the pulpit, and even if everybody doesn't agree all the time, they still love him. And living and serving among those patient, thoughtful, caring, nurturing people, he has found healing and renewal to his spirit and his calling. You know, our annual budget at Ridgewood is just a little bit more than 10% of Highlands. The money that you give to us goes a long way. And the people who are finding their home at Ridgewood don't often have much to put in the offering plate each week. And many of them won't soon or ever be able to chair our finance and stewardship ministry group. But they desperately need a place like Ridgewood. And we're there to help them reconnect with the God who loves them. We are part of different flocks. But your financial assistance, your prayers, your wise counsel, and everything that you have done for Ridgewood over the years is a testament to the selfless and faithful commitment you have made to Jesus' promise that ultimately there is only one flock and one shepherd. And I thank you. I got an email this week. It said something I thought was pretty interesting. It was commenting on the popularity, even the obsession we are having in our culture right now with the concept of leadership. There are hundreds of books out right now on how to be a better leader. CEOs and generals and politicians make thousands of dollars speaking to groups about leadership essentials. But the point of the email was a provocative one. Maybe, the writer asked, maybe what we need right now is not better leaders, but better followers. And the more I thought about it, the more I wondered, maybe he wasn't on to something. And don't get me wrong, being a a better leader is something I'm passionate about. I have plenty of those books about leadership. I listen to leadership podcasts, and I've availed myself to plenty of continuing education opportunities so that I can be a better church leader. Good leadership is vital to Ridgewood's commitment to not simply survive, but to thrive. Pastor means shepherd, after all. But what 
Jesus reminds us all in this passage today is that we are all called to be followers. We are all called to be sheep following the good shepherd. All of us, especially pastors. My ability to lead in my church is completely dependent on my ability to follow Jesus. I'm a sheep. And the same is true for Joe. He's a sheep. And for those of you who might be worried about various aspects of Highland's ministry now that Emily is gone, here's the good news. She's a sheep too. Now, I went to seminary with Emily. I know how great she is. But if you're concerned about Highland's future without the Reverend Emily Hall McGee, remember this. What's most important for you is not who your young adult minister is, but that every person in this church is committing themselves to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Now, I know that the idea of being a sheep has a bad name. Sheep are supposed to be dumb. To be a sheep is thought of as someone who blindly follows without question. You only need to read the comment section, and I don't recommend that, but of a, you know, some online article about uh, the fallacies of 9-11 trutherism or something, and you'll find countless comments commanding us to wake up, sheeple. But as Barbara Brown Taylor so helpfully reminds us in her commentary on this passage, the idea that sheep are dumb comes from cattle ranchers. See, this is because cattle are herded from behind with hooting cowboys and cracking whips, but sheep want to be led from the front. You push cows, but you lead sheep. But sheep won't just follow anyone. They follow their shepherd. They follow the one whom they know and trust. They follow the one who goes ahead of them and shows them that everything will be all right. We see this illustrated in the words of the 23rd Psalm. Last year, my in-laws went on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. When they got back, they showed Claire and me some of the videos of their tour guide giving lectures at various sites. In one lecture, the group was sitting on a hillside overlooking the Judean wilderness outside of Jerusalem. It's rocky, dry, and brown. It's full of steep hills and valleys that lead nowhere. And the teacher used this vista to talk about Psalm 23. Here in America, we think of a pasture as a wide open green space. But in that inhospitable wilderness, a pasture is a small patch of green grass, only a a few square yards wide. All around it looks like rocks and dirt for miles. But the shepherd knows where the green pasture is. He leads his sheep to it. To the untrained eye, a a cliffside might look impossible to travel down without a broken neck. But the shepherd can see the path that offers safe passage. He leads his sheep on it. And so even at the bottom of dark valleys or in the presence of bandits and wild animals, the sheep know they have nothing to fear. They know the shepherd sees what they cannot see. And so it is with Jesus, our good shepherd. In the midst 
of danger and scarcity, Jesus sees safety and abundance for us. In the movie Braveheart, on the night that the boy William Wallace has buried his father, he has a dream. And in the dream, his father comes to him and says, your heart is free. Have the courage to follow it. It takes courage to be a leader, to be sure. But it takes real courage to be a follower. And it especially takes courage to be a follower of Jesus because we never know where he might lead us. On that dark mountain trail, I should have had the courage to admit my mistake and follow the wisdom of my wife. I should have had the courage to be a follower. But unlike me, Jesus has proven to be a trustworthy guide. Even when we can't see the way, we know that the light of his love and grace illuminate the path ahead of us, marking the roots and rocks that cause us to stumble. It takes courage Not to listen to the hired hands of money, of power, of influence, of selfish gain, of exploitative profit. Those are too often the motivations of those who would be leaders. Do you have the courage to follow the good shepherd? It takes courage to follow Jesus when he leads all the way to the steps of the Supreme Court in the fight for love and equality, even as your own Bojangles and Dominique are doing this very day. It takes courage to invest your time, talent, and resources into a struggling church in southwest Louisville. It takes courage to say, my life is not my own to do with it as I please. I place myself and my future into the hands of the good shepherd. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I think they wrote a song about that. Look look at all of these stained glass windows in this sanctuary. The next time you're down in the fellowship hall, look at the windows down there. Every one of them is filled with the faces of people who were not simply leaders. No, they were followers. They had the courage to follow wherever their ministry of love might lead them. They had the courage to follow over any mountain. They had the courage to follow through any barrier. They had the courage to follow even into the valley of the shadow of death itself. That's courage. So in a world full of leaders, let's have the courage to be followers. In a world full of lone wolves, let's have the courage to be sheep. In a world full of individuals, let's have the courage to be part of a flock. And just see where the good shepherd will take us. See what the good shepherd will do through us. See how the good shepherd will care for us. See how the good shepherd will speak through us to tell the world that despite all of the differences that divide us, there is truly one flock and one shepherd. In Christ, the good shepherd, your heart is truly free. Now, have the courage to follow. Amen.